Can you build a profitable complex respiratory program? Today, Dave Lyman and Rhonda Burmester answer the question. Welcome, Dave and Rhonda, to the show. What are the components of a complex respiratory program? Complex respiratory, some people out there think it's probably equipment. It may be ventilators or high-frequency chest wall oscillation or a mechanical encephalation device. Complex respiratory really is more than that. You know, I would like to put it as got to think of it as not just the box. It's not just the equipment. It's also what type of a program that you build as a provider to help get the patients engaged with therapy and really measuring outcomes to really show what their program is accomplishing and how you're better benefiting patients. Yeah, I would agree with that, Dave, that it is about the program itself, that you know, managing that disease state. Um, when we think of CME, a lot of us just immediately want to think about equipment. And when you talk about some of these equipment, like a complex respiratory equipment or program, it is more just providing a product like a ventilator or a vest. You know, it's managing that patient with that disease to make sure they maintain compliance. So there's a lot of pieces to that I know we'll talk on, but there's a lot to that. So it's just making sure that that patient is doing well with their compliance on that product. Speaking of the patient, why is it important to engage the patient as part of the overall program? Like you said, it's not just providing a product. It's about the patient and engaging them. Why is that important? The biggest piece to that is I think some providers out there, they develop a program and it's just standardized. So an example is they develop a standard care that is just, it's kind of generic. It's a checklist. It's something you do for all your patients and not every patient is the same. So I think it's very important to develop a care plan that's designed around the patient because truly we talk about respiratory therapists not being salespeople. They really are because their job is to sell the patient um, on the physician's order. We're, our job as clinicians is to get these patients using the equipment as prescribed by the physician. If you get the patients involved and understanding their disease process, they're going to be more engaged. They're going to understand why they're using something. I think that's part of the problem when patients get put on pieces of equipment, whether it's a ventilator whether it's a CPAP, what have you, is they don't know why they're going on it. You know, the doctor's talking, these acronyms they've never heard of before, and they're really not sure what's going on. So it's really getting the patient understanding their disease process and getting them involved in their plan. You know, develop some kinds of rewards for accomplishments. You know, talk to these patients about breathing techniques and what types of medications they're on and how to deliver them, what are the ones for? You know, teaching self-management skills. I think so many times we just have these checkbox care plans and we really need to work with those patients, having them better understand things and get them involved because if you don't get them involved, your program isn't going to be successful. And I would echo that, Dave, just from even the world I live in and the billing and reimbursement side of it, why it's so important to get these patients to understand their disease state, what that means when a not just a piece of equipment, but the condition that they're treating with that piece of equipment. Why it's so important to understand that is so that they don't have to deal with maybe some of the comorbidities or some of the complications that may come with it being untreated. If they fully understand it, you know, whatever that condition is from the get-go and having the family involved with it too, in the end, everyone's going to be satisfied. It'll be a win-win for everybody, right? Between the patients, the families, the physicians, 
and then suppliers, you know, because they have to make sure the patient is using the equipment that they're getting that complex respiratory product in order to even get paid for that product. So part of that use of it is making sure that patient understands why and they don't feel like it's, oh, I'm feeling better. I don't need it now. Well, there's reasons why you need to maintain the order that the doctor wrote for you and to follow that care plan that's in place. So it is very important. I agree. And I find that that's even more important to spend with them on the front end when they're initially getting the equipment. If you can capture their attention right away and get them to understand, I feel like that'll pay off long term. Yeah, you bring up a great point there, Rhonda, too, with family members or caregivers. I think sometimes we forget that there's more to the patient than just themselves. And if you can get those family members engaged and have them have a better understanding, it's going to help. It's not them just being that nagging caregiver or family member saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. It's them understanding why they need to do that. So that's a great point, Robert. Talk to us a little bit about data and reporting. How should providers use data in order to show success or value? Yeah, that's the big question right now, especially in our industry, is we've got a lot of data. And uh, what do you do with it? So I think uh, that's probably one of the first things that we have to do is we have to be able to produce objective data to demonstrate our value. So sometimes when you're building these care plans and these question sets, we're getting subjective data, right? So it's really taking it to the next level, trying to work with payers and health systems to get that data turned into objective data to show what the value is. And the other thing is in our industry, we're not tech savvy, most of us. Now, there are some providers out there that are, but we need to use technology to assist in gathering our data. You know, it's no more using Excel spreadsheets. We have to get more complex than that to really gather the data. And I think the biggest thing is, and I always say this, it's not just necessarily the machine. It's everything else we do, but the machine does provide valuable data. You know, there's hours use, average rate setting, et cetera, that we can pull that is very valuable that we can really expand on. So really we have to couple the device data with ongoing patient intervention really to achieve a a meaningful outcome. Because that's really what we're trying to do is show positive outcomes, how we can give the patient a better quality of life and reduce healthcare spend is really out there. I would say, you know, think beyond the box. There's more to it than that. And so the providers out there really need to take a look at how they're collecting their data and how they're reporting their data. Again, there's different technology programs that they can use out there to accomplish this, but I think it's time. We're just not equipment delivery folks anymore in our industry. We have to understand that outcomes is a part of it, and we have to continuously show the payers and the health systems out there that we're a tremendously large part of this whole continuum of care. Because one of the things out there we talked about is the DME provider, what is their role? What can we do differently to better show how meaningful we are? Well, the one thing I can tell you is we're the only non-acute care entity that is with these patients for the rest of their life. So we really can have a positive outcome, whether it's decreasing sped and giving a better quality of life. So it's very, very important that we show that to all parties out there, whether it's payers or health systems. Right. We're not just an equipment industry. We are a service industry. And that's what we have to remember. What I see with these payers is that many of them just know HICPIC codes and ICD-10 codes and CPT codes. They don't understand what it really means when we are involved with that patient and their care plan. And that's where it's important to gather the data, like Dave said, and then share that with these payers so they can see what you're doing with them 
to keep them compliant with that product, keep them in the home so they're not having to be admitted back into um, the Part A side, whether it's, you know, in a hospital or a rehab facility or in a nursing facility, that we're keeping them in their home because of how we're working with them and collecting the data to show them that. So it is important to show them it's not just about those HCPCS codes, it's more than that. And they really don't understand that. We, I feel like we sometimes, we assume that these payers know what it means to be a DME supplier. And they really don't. I've had some of them say, you know, when we've talked to them about the, in the CPAP world, what it takes to set a patient up on a CPAP machine, what we do to follow up with that patient. That's not even talking about collecting billing information to submit their claim, but it's, it's that respiratory therapist that's involved from day one to educate them through the process to keep them compliant. When they hear that, I mean, their jaws drop because they can't believe what we're doing as a service industry, they think of it, oh, it's just an EO601, and that's all they have in their mind, that you're just handing out the equipment, saying, here you go, patient, use it. No, there's more to that, and that's where that value comes into our, our labs, per se. Yeah, and Rhonda, it's tough, right? Reimbursement yeah. rates aren't going up. They keep going down, and our providers have to do more. So we do a lot of services that we're not paid for. We're just paid for the equipment, which is a challenge. And that's why we have to continue to collect the data and show it to the payers and to the health systems, really to prove that we can have a positive impact on this patient's life and the cost of health care. Yeah, I agree. So what about that magic of getting paid? That's what everybody wants, right? So what are the tips and tricks to ensure yeah. payment on the back end? Rana, you have all of those. Yeah. All the magic. Um, <laughs> yes, and this is what you'll hear me say all the time. You know, I know I talk Medicare a lot, but it's all those other payers out there that I know exist. Know your policies. Know how many conversations I have with our suppliers when they call because they're upset, whether it's a cut in their rates or, you know, they've gotten audits where they're doing recoupment. And I'll say, well, what's your contract say? What's the policy? And many suppliers don't know. And that's where it's so important to know the policies. And if you are unsure need to find out from that payer, where is it at? Where's the link at that you can email me to your website? Or what's the website where I can go to that policy? Ask for things in writing. Don't take what they tell you over a phone as it's set in stone. Because as you know, when you talk to customer service people, they only know basic information. So you need the facts. So having those policies in place and knowing what they are is so important. And if you're unsure, follow Medicare guidelines. That's easy in itself. That's the one great thing I could say about Medicare is that they do have policies in place. We know where they're at. We know we can read them and reference them. So that's one good thing. Now, interpretation is another thing. But if you're not sure, if you follow Medicare guidelines for your other payers, you're going to have more than what you need. I mean, when it comes to the coverage criteria, I did that as a supplier, actually, and it worked for me. I understand it may not work for everybody, but I did it back in the day when I ran the DME because... It was so hard to keep up with the different rules for all these different payers. So we're going to referrals saying, I need this for this payer. I need this for this payer. I need this for this payer. And it was so inefficient. So finally, we're like, we're just following Medicare policy. It's our company policy that will follow Medicare guidelines for every payer. And that made life easy because everybody knew what to expect of us, whether it was our staff internally or our referral sources externally. But one thing we didn't do is we didn't go out and say, to a referral that maybe it might be working with a Blue Cross patient or a non-Medicare patient is we didn't say we're following Medicare guidelines. We just emphasize that our company policy is to follow these guidelines. 
That way everybody's covered. So we're looking out for the benefits of the patient. So they don't have any financial liability is what it ultimately boils down to. So knowing those policies are so key and keeping up on them because they will change without you telling. I was just even talking to someone today that there was some criteria that changed and they didn't even know about it. And it happened. And now that we're having to be reactive and backtrack. And that's not a way to operate. So if they have listservs where you can get an email from them or somewhere where you can reference, sign up for that information. I feel like that's coming around more and more. Payers are becoming more savvy with technology to release that information. But that's the key is knowing the policy and where they're located so you can reference them. Yeah, and Ronald, just another piece to it is respiratory therapists, they're clinicians, right? They're not billers. They're not typically experts. So successful companies that have a complex respiratory program have that working relationship between the clinicians and the billers. So to really know what those policies are, because as a Mm -hmm. clinical person, you're going to want to give that patient to be successful in their care. And it could be that you're bankrupting the company. You know, a good example is the policy states if they're straight, they can get 200 section catheters and you're giving them 400. You have to really know what the policy is. And it's tough sometimes from a clinician standpoint, because you are, empathetic to that patient you want to take care of them and give them a better quality of life but to be able to stay in business you have to make money and and do do the right thing right well and you brought up a good point too Dave is I've seen that both ways I know you have too with respiratory therapists we're both respiratory therapists I mean you're a clinician by trade you're there to take care of the patient and you're looking out for them and that can be good or bad, just like you said, where you're either wanting to give too much and so the company could be losing because you're maybe giving supplies out when, when they're not eligible for their payer or they're not giving enough when they have that flexibility with the payer. So it's just important to, I always say, don't take the rights away from the patient. Let them know what their options are so they can decide. We're not the decision maker for them. We're the ones there to help guide them and educate them. And they ultimately can make that decision. So if they can have different products that clean things or all the supplies that their payers allow, that's our right to share that with them and then let the patient decide what they want. I mean, that's so important. More than likely, they want what their insurance is going to pay for because they want to have that, especially with this complex respiratory. It can be a scary situation when things don't go right with different products. So they want to have backups and extra things on hand. So absolutely make sure you share those guidelines with the patient and let them decide. What about profitability? Is that possible with the complex respiratory program? You know, absolutely it can be, but it has to be done with a process. You have to come up with formularies on specific supplies and equipment, depending on what type of patient it is. You can't just be giving everybody the brand name gloves, so to speak. I give a comfortable glove to a patient that, you can actually make money on it. If you're losing money, you're not going to be able to take care of the patient. So it absolutely can be, but it's got to be done appropriately. You need to redeploy your respiratory therapist to your more critical patients. So kind of give you an example. If you have, let's say, 10 non-invasive ventilation patients, you're probably going to have some type of a protocol that you're going to see them every so often. But there's technology that can be used out there for some of these patients that are compliant that maybe your therapists don't need to see Every month, maybe they can see every quarter and use technology to monitor these patients on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. I think that's part of the problem with DME providers that want to get into having a complex program. They're adding all of these therapists. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but we can't afford There's no reimbursement for respiratory therapists on the part B. So it's a cost. So if there's a way, 
therapist and have them involved with the patients that really need this um, just because you have something in place that says you're going to see these patients every month doesn't mean you can't see them more frequently if they need it and some of these patients do need more frequent visits so you've got to use technology remote monitoring etc have workflows i mean you want to outsource some things you really want to have your respiratory therapist i see some providers that monitor compliance for cpap patients you know that to me that makes no sense you know, when a clinician maybe needs to get involved with the patient because they don't understand something, that's when you would deploy a therapist to get involved in their care. There's things, you know, again, whether it's outsourcing or a non-clinical person that can absolutely monitor that compliance on these patients. But you absolutely can be profitable in these complex cases. You just have to really have good processes and a good understanding of where to deploy your clinicians. Yeah, I agree there. And I always think of, you know, the... Suppliers that are in the complex respiratory market, you know, they shouldn't be afraid to expand on even other products that are out there that are maybe a retail product. Maybe it's not a reimbursable one by a payer, but don't be afraid to expand into some of those areas. And I don't like to call it cross-selling, but essentially what it is, that again, you've got to share with a patient their options that are out there to help them with their disease state, whatever that may be, and let them decide. And they will appreciate that because they will remember you whether they get that product that same day or in a week or in a month. But it's important to share with them what you have. We're not a place of business where they just come and shop like they would at these big box stores. You know, we, they come to us because they need us. And they have this condition that they're not sure what it, what does this mean that this doctor says I have this condition now, this respiratory condition, and now you have to do what? They don't understand all of that. So that's why it's important to provide what to them what you have that could be helpful and let them decide how they want to handle their care even from there if they want to add on any of those products that could be helpful for them. Yeah, that's a great point, Rhonda. You know, you COPD patient as an example. You know, there's lip chairs, there's wedge pillows, there's Pisex cylinders, there's portable oxygen quantitative. There's so many things out there that you could have discussions with these patients that aren't covered by insurance, possibly, but that they could be a cash product and that could definitely help with the profitability, because as we all know, the patients or their family members are looking online and exploring these products, and if you don't be the one to introduce it or talk to them about it, they're going to buy that product probably somewhere else. So you bring up a great point, Rhonda. It is, it's good to have further discussions about other things that's going to give them a better quality of life. In terms of operational efficiencies in a program like this, what investments are worth making, like maybe from a technological standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's tough for, for uh, the providers out there to spend money when they're not getting reimbursed for something, right? They're getting reimbursed for the equipment, but not the service. I think it's tremendously important to invest in telehealth technology. So let's say it's a vet patient. There's products out there that you can remotely monitor on these patients. Yeah, it's a little more expensive, but it's well worth it. There are software platforms that will help gather data for you. Again, there's an investment out there, but it's well worth it, especially when you start gathering data and able to really take it to a referral source. Now, taking it to a payer, it's a long process. You might fall on your, your face and scrape your knees many, many times, and it could be a year, two years, three years before you have some success with payers. We have providers who are, are doing that all the time, and some are successful with They are getting, whether it's an additional code or they're not getting their reimbursement cut because of the services that they're providing. So really, it is well worth the investment. Technology, whether it's a remote monitoring, 
um, and or uh, a software package that could help build individual care plans for those patients and collect data and really put it into a format that could be used. There's platforms out there that use Tableau, for example, for reporting, and it puts it, the data into really detailed or summaries by patients, or if it's a specific physician, it could be a group of patients that really helps show what you're doing. Because sometimes, you know, the way we collect data sometimes in the Excel spreadsheet, we don't really create up too much. So there definitely is some different packages, whether it's software or telehealth platform that makes sense for providers to invest in. Yeah, I would agree with you on the telehealth part of it. And you've seen this too with a few of our members that they have a really good program using telehealth and for the therapist or, you know, maybe a tech in the office is able to visit with that patient virtually to discuss, you know, whatever the situation is. It's amazing what I've seen with that. So I definitely would invest in that. As far as the other suggestions I would have would be related to don't be afraid to even outsource some of your billing and reimbursement side of things. When I say that, I know many suppliers think, oh, when I outsource my billing, I got to give a company all of my billing. And you don't. You can do bits and pieces. It can be a la carte, wherever your pain points might be. Maybe it's working on the AR. Maybe it's a payer. You know, depending on what it is that's causing you some problems, you can outsource bits and pieces of it. So don't be afraid to do that because there are some good companies out there that have good services. And that's where you have to make sure you do your due diligence to make sure that you capture a good company that's legit that wants to work for you and, and do well for you. We have some that we work with at BGM that we refer our members to, but you know, I know there's others that we don't even know about, but don't be afraid to outsource some of that billing and reimbursement side of it if you need to, because it is hard to um, even have staff, those FTEs, you know, on hand to do the job because you have to find the right ones that are willing to take on these tasks in the DME industry that it's not easy to deal with our side of the world in the healthcare industry. So it's hard to find staff that willing to do a, the job and be good at the job and, you know, just and stick with you. It can be very costly. So if you have to outsource, don't be afraid to do that and know that it's okay that it's bits and pieces. It's not an all in for that matter. All right. Anything else in terms of building or maintaining a successful complex respiratory program from our experts? I just think that it's important for providers to understand that if they have a program, it's okay to work with other providers to figure out best practices. I don't believe anybody's found the secret sauce right now. I don't think there is any. You know, we're kind of all in this together. So if providers have come up with a program or are doing something they believe is working and doing good things for their community, you know, get together with, with some of their peers and have discussions, find out what other folks are doing. And maybe you can share those best practices, really help your program and help really the people in the community because that's really what it's all about. I would echo that, Dave. You learn so much from each other. And so utilize that. You know, we were both suppliers prior to our BGM days and I had my supplier friends that I would reach out to and discuss these types of, you know, different things like this with them. And they would do the same for me. So it is important to have that network. And, you know, it's back in the days that, you know, there were those days in the supplier industry where we were very competitive and we didn't want to share anything. Well, like Dave said, there's no secret sauce to that anymore. It's our service that we have that we provide to our patients, to our, our referrals. 
you know, that's what the secret sauce is. So taking that and making sure that you're utilizing the programs that you have for complex respiratory and keep building on them, that's what's going to sell and do well for your company. And one other piece of advice is you have to change with time even. So, you know, some things that may have worked five or 10 years ago may not work today. So you have to be willing to be flexible and change with the environment. Change is not easy for any of us. We know that. But you can be flexible with that and flexible with the technology. You could have a program that's going to do really, really well for you. All right. Great. Thank you guys both so much. 